Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, hello, everyone. Rick Martinez in for Don Curtis on this edition of Carolina Newsmakers. And we've got uh, Sheriff Andy Taylor. Oh, no, no, no. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Don always says that when I'm on the show. <laughs> uh, uh, Professor Andy Taylor. Of course, when most people hear uh, Andy Taylor and then hear that accent, you're not from Mayberry, are you? No, no. I'm from Fuquay Varina. <laughs> no, I, I like saying that. No, I, I am not from, I'm originally from the UK, but uh-huh. um, compared to, I know a lot of the listeners throughout the state have been in North Carolina a lot longer than me. Yeah. But a lot of the listeners, particularly in the Charlotte area, in the Triangle and the Triad, haven't been here as long as me. I've been in North Carolina since 95 at NC mm-hmm. State, but I'm originally from the UK. How'd you, how'd you get over here? Um, I came to graduate school um, in, I've been here since 88 mm-hmm. and... Um, uh, I went to graduate school at Lehigh University in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, and then I did my PhD at UConn and then sort of accidentally um, came into a career uh, teaching political science at NC State. Um, well, why'd you it, stay? I mean, you got I, Well, I love North Carolina, um, except on days like today when it's 100 <laughs> uh, degrees. Yeah, but, 100 um, degrees and 100% humidity, humidity, those things. Yeah, yeah. but no, um, uh, I, NC State took a, and appreciate the people of, of North Carolina because they own NC State, mm-hmm. took a chance on me in 1995, and um, I think I've added value, uh, and I've enjoyed every minute of being here. It's just a wonderful place. You know, it, it's amazing that you've, uh, you know, were born and raised in uh, the United Kingdom, but yet you've become so involved in probably the most American of sports, and that's politics. How'd that happen? Well, when I was a kid, I was always interested in politics. Mm-hmm. Um, I was when we used to get the newspaper in the UK. The, the, the you know the front page is all politics, and the back page is sports. Mm-hmm. And my friends would always go straight to back page, and I always go straight to front page. And they thought that was a bit strange. And I enjoyed elections. I loved election night on TV and watching you know, British general elections. Um, I always had a great admiration and, and and interest in the United States, and so. You know, like most college students, you don't know what you really want to do when you go to college, but it just seemed natural for me to bring together those two interests, one in, in politics and, and one in the United States. And so I did, you know, that was sort of my major course of study in, in college. Is, is, the, uh, is the political structure vastly different between the United States? You know, I mean, we don't have a queen. Right. You know, but. Oh, yeah, uh, hugely different. Uh, we, we don't, I think we want to talk about other things in the show because we could go on forever, but. Yeah, I mean, obviously the parliamentary system as opposed to our presidential yeah. system, our system of separation of powers, our federal system, so we have a highly de- decentralized system. The, the the British is a unitary system with the, mm-hmm. the significant powers in London, although they have over the past sort of 30 years or so increasingly been devolved uh, to particularly to Scotland but also to Wales um, uh, and Northern Ireland, uh, you know, con- constituent mm. countries of the United Kingdom. Um, and, of course... Uh, the whole reason for one of the major reasons for Brexit is a f- uh, sort of dispute over whether power should stay with the British Parliament or uh, go up to uh, to the European Union, and of course that sort of fed the, the referendum and, the, and the, the desire to get out of the European Union in 2016, which of course is still going on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's fundamental differences, Rick. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's. Let's kind of segue into into, into uh, the let's use Brexit as a segue. 
with regard to our president, uh, President Trump, uh, which I, I believe most smart people like you um, say that, one, he's more populist than anything else. And is this part of a global populist wave with uh, Brexit and, of course, and now us, uh, the United States electing an outsider who had, had no political experience but said, hey, I'm just the guy to do the job? Yeah, it's certainly um – the you know these both happened in 2016 the election of mm-hmm. Donald Trump and the and the Brexit and there have been a number of uh, other Western countries, um, particularly um, in Europe, um, who have elected or given significant support to political parties or leaders who are would be in that type. And in fact, just as we speak, we're coming to the end of a leadership election in the UK uh, to replace. Prime Minister Theresa May as mm-hmm. Prime Minister as leader of the Conservative Party. Um, and uh, it's pretty clear that the winner is going to be this guy called Boris Johnson, who in many ways is sort of cut off similar cloth. I wouldn't say the same, but similar cloth as, mm-hmm. as Trump is. So this has been a, a phenomenon. Um, you called it populist. Mm-hmm. It certainly uh, m- mixes up and models f- for us in the United States our traditional sort of conservative to liberal way that we think about politics in an ideological sense. Um, Trump isn't, uh, you know, he calls himself a conservative. He is a Republican. Um, but he isn't really uh, a Republican as we would um, have rec- recognized Republicans up until recently. Um, I mean, many of his positions wouldn't be conservative, particularly on matters like trade, um, even up until recently, the Republican Party has had been um, much more open to immigration than the Democratic Party, actually. Um, and so he's he's changed things. He's a disruptor. A lot of people mm-hmm. use that term quite a lot. Um, and he's done it uh, in, as you know, you use this term populism in a, a sort of populistic way, as sort of saying I'm against the establishment. Right? Yeah. You know, there, there are these elite um, and established institutions um, in Washington, the deep state uses that term. Um, in the cultural elites, like in the media, in Hollywood, in in um, uh, colleges and universities, who have control over society, and I'm here to sort of break us from that yoke uh, and and change things up. Um, so this is a you know Trump and and these others. Uh, across um, the West uh, are changing politics profoundly. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of wondering, given your, your background and, and in, in addition to your profession, is this uh, in essence somewhat of a, a global perspective? You say Boris Johnson in, uh, in England, and of course, uh, Marie Le Pen in France uh, put up a much stronger uh, challenge uh, to, uh, to become uh, president of France and so forth. The uh, Prime Minister Merkel is uh, she's now stepping down. I have no idea who's in line to to succeed her. But is this not necessarily a um, electing disruptor, so to speak? Is that uh, not necessarily a U.S. thing? Or no, I other? think it's broader. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, I think you're right. I think it's broader, and and I, you know, it comes at a time um, in, in in the development of the world in which you know in the 20th century. The 19th century was the beginning, really, of sort of class politics. Um, the Industrial Revolution mm-hmm. uh, pitted, you know, people who had money, who who ran businesses, who owned things against 
workers, right? And that was a t- that was a typical cleavage in in politics going into the 20th century. As you know, uh, American politics uh, was more complicated than that. But that was sort of yeah. generally where the Republicans and Democrats were 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 in that way. Um, they were br- brought together greatly after World War II, largely because of the threat of of communism and and to to wage the Cold War. Um, and that's over now. And so we've got this other cleavage, which seems to be not necessarily um, sort of rich versus poor, although there's a lot to that. Um, but it's it's this cleavage over um, where the world is going. Uh, do you are you uh, uh, okay with globalism, which is a sort of idea that, um, political power uh, does not reside in localities, or sovereign states aren't necessarily important. There are sort of these sort of broader global forces like markets, international markets, uh, like international political institutions. Um, or do you want to? Are you more interested in protecting sort of parochial and local concerns uh, against those kinds of tides? Um, and you can be kind of a tr- old school liberal and an old school conservative and sort of be okay with globalism or you can be an old school liberal and an old school conservative mm-hmm. and be against it and so this is why those old ideological labels are, are really um, losing a lot of their uh, um, descriptive capability yeah because at least with um, president trump um i think you you hit the hit it on the nose there you say he's republican and that's about as far as it goes because as you said he is uh used tariffs like uh, any other president that i've uh, can remember and uh and he kind of justifies it by saying well we need to put america first where his predecessors including republican presidents of uh, the bushes and uh ronald reagan to a certain extent said uh, no, we're part of a of a larger community, right? A tar- well, tariffs are taxes. I mean, he's raising taxes. <clears throat> mm-hmm. and we had the uh, a large, uh, uh, impressive tax cut right at the end of twenty seventeen. You know, where yeah. he he compared himself with his biggest tax cut, bigger than Reagan's in nineteen eighty one. Right, right. That's right. Uh, but now he's raising taxes all the time um, with, with tariffs uh, unilaterally, um, and. Um, but that's di- different, right? That's a uh, but. But sort of a low tax, low regulation person would say, "Well, well, hold on a minute. That was great what you did with the tax cut in 2017, but this, this is you're raising taxes now." What is he doing with regard to immigration? How would you characterize that? Well, again, you know, people who are for freedom of movement and freedom of capital, freedom mm-hmm. of labor would say this is um, not great. I mean, I think what what what's happened with the immigration debate is that we've got it over a very sort of specific matter rather than talking about the immigration system has been broken for a long time. And there have been a number of presidents and and members of Congress of both parties over the past 20 years who have really tried Mm -hmm. to work on this. But now we've focused on this one issue, which is uh, migrants from Central America Mm -hmm. who are unusual in the fact that they come as families. Generally, most people who try to get into the United States are um, younger people, uh, generally men mm-hmm. um, who are looking for work. And generally from Mexico. Yes, right. And so this has changed profoundly. Now we have families um, who are not Mexican uh, but are from deeper in Central America, from places right. like Guatemala and El Salvador and Honduras, um, who are, are seeking asylum uh, and are largely coming for reasons of, of, of safety as much as economic reasons. Um, and we're focused on them and, of course, the treatment. Um, and so the issue uh, has become specifically about that 
rather than some of the broader questions of immigration and their treatment, etc. Okay. Well, when we come back, I'm going to ask uh, Dr. Uh, Taylor whether or not President uh, Trump's popularity among North Carolinians, he was in uh, North Carolina this week, is it because of his ideas or because of his personality? You're listening to Carolina Newsmakers. Rick Martinez in for Don Curtis. We'll be right back. Thank you for keeping our country free. I'm happy you looked out for our country. It seems we are all more aware of what service to our country really means. Does anyone know what a veteran is? You must be brave to go in the Army. Now it is possible to say thank you directly to America's veterans. Just log on to thankyouveterans.org, select an e-card, and send a personal message of thanks. Please know that you will be in my prayers all I wanted to do something to let them know how I feel. I'm glad to say I'm an American because of you. There are 26 million veterans living in America, from World War II to Afghanistan in Iraq. Let a veteran or someone in the military know you appreciate their service. Visit thankyouveterans.org, a public service of Paralyzed Veterans of America. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Rick Martinez in for Don Curtis on this edition. We've uh, been talking a little bit about all kinds of uh, things, international politics. How's that? Yeah, you think right. that could pass? And, yeah, it's uh, a bit England? like Dick Van Dyke in Mary Poppins. Uh, some of the listeners might remember <laughs> Dick Van Dyke's uh, as Bert, as Bert. The chimney sweep. <laughs> okay. Well, not bad for a Latin dude trying yeah, to sound yeah, like yeah. Dick, Dick uh, Van Dyke. <laughs> anyway, um, we, uh, we talked about uh, President Trump as uh, a disruptor, as uh, a man uh, who, uh, who's is a, somewhat of a, of a populist uh, uh, appeal and so forth. Now that he has been in office uh, coming up on uh, three years, uh, your, obs- your professional observation uh, are his supporters, of which there were many in Greenville when he came to visit, are they more interested in Donald Trump the man or Donald Trump the, his ideas as a, as a, as a politician? Well, probably both. I and mean, that's an easy out, Rick, right, to say both. I'm sure it is both. Um, yeah, Trump is a phenomenon, um, and um, he certainly does have some clear ideas. I mean, I don't think this is someone uh, – in, in, in many ways, there are a lot of issues where he doesn't have ideas, and there are a lot of issues where he prevaricates, and it's sort of unclear of what his position is. But there are certain issues where he, he clearly has um, – uh, f- fleshed out uh, ideas and we mentioned trade and immigration in the last sec- segment and I think those are, are two um, obvious uh, uh, issues there are a lot of people of course who criticize and this has been the brouhaha in Congress this week with the president's tweets um, they say that um, uh, Trump's policies are divisive um, uh, often racially so they're racist um, mm-hmm. uh, those accusations are going on but but it's not uh, – that's clearly some style. It's not – you know, in terms of substance, um, uh, it, it's interesting what, what kinds of policies Trump has that are like that. And he, may be, he may think like that. He mm-hmm. may want those kinds of policies, right? But really the, 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 the sort of the, – the genus of, of Trump's um, 
political philosophy is what you said, America first. Mm -hmm. And that means that um, uh, we need to focus on uh, our own interests. So that means hiking tariffs unless we get favorable trade agreements. What Trump believes is favorable trade agreements to to heck with... You know, global markets. We, we're going we, to. It means really cramp, clamping down on immigration, um, which many people would say is actually against American interests, but not in the way he sees them. Right. That that there needs to be a sort of clearly defined sovereign state of the United States of America um, in the in the world, and and and, the, and that was that was over the past thir- at least since the. Uh, um, Berlin Wall came down possibly even before then. That was going. That's what his ideas are. But the stylistic stuff clearly attracts some people as well. Yeah. Um, He's a bit of a street fighter. Yes. And the edgy um, rhetoric, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, The unconventional behavior, which, you know, the tweeting, the off the cuff, uh, but also the rhetoric and the style, the pugnacious style. The, the the antagonistic approach attracts some people as well. I mean, is, it, is it too simplistic to characterize this, or am I totally wrong in, in that in his America First philosophy, which uh, actually Pat Buchanan back in the day yep. very much ran on, on that type sure. of thing and didn't get Paleo any... Paleoconservatism, yeah, no, yeah. Um, Paleoconservative, yeah. Um, he, um, it's probably one of the biggest differences is that in his world, um, as a deal maker, as a as a developer, as a uh, someone who practices capitalism in the toughest markets in, in New York City and in, in real estate and such, does he see things as a winner and a loser in a deal, as opposed to his previous predecessors who were all part of a large community and everybody kind of does their part, and if that means that the United States has to take a uh, a, a larger uh, burden so that uh, Korea or someplace else. You know, can uh, can do other things. Is that a significant difference, uh, or is that my just no? Uh, no, I think his up? background certainly um, has guided the way he's thought. He thinks about politics and he thinks about the, the presidency. Um, uh, and yeah, you make deals, but you only make deals uh, when they're good for you. Yeah. Um, and if they're not good for you, you don't make the deals. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and and you the the benefits need to be material and personal rather than diffuse and kind of mm-hmm. ambiguous right mm-hmm. you mentioned the deal making you you make a deal an Ameri- a us president makes a deal with uh, another country that you say well that doesn't help the united states and the president turns around and says look systemat- systematic stability is in our interests right. and and yeah we're kind of paying off uh, this is Trump's approach to NATO, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're paying for NATO. Uh, it's costing us. But we're getting the benefits because the world as it is is good for America. Trump comes into and says, no, I want more direct, tangible benefits than that. The, the world's best for America. Why are we paying for this? The, the, <laughs> you know, the British, the, the, well, not so much the British and the French because they do pay, but some of the other countries, particularly the Germans, right. you know, with their constitution. Yeah. And we can say the same with the Japanese as well, though, of course, they're not part of NATO. Mm-hmm. We've, we've been providing this security umbrella, and these guys are making boatloads of money. We want to <laughs> see some. That's his approach as opposed to former presidents. But let me say something else about Trump and his approach and, and his real estate background, which I think really informs the presidency. And that is 
unlike now, now of course Dem democrats used to love debt they always do and they still do but now republicans do as well and one of the things trump's because he's in real estate or was in real estate his business empire was fueled on debt that's right yeah Mor uh, uh, mortgages right mortgages there you that's go. what yeah. debt is and 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 he doesn't seem to have any understanding of the gov federal federal government's debt uh, which is continued to balloon um, I think we're going to add another trillion dollars this yes, year. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. um, and so it used to be the Republicans were the sane ones in the room <laughs> on, on these matters. But, you know, with a president who doesn't seem to think it's important. I mean, he, he he's browbeating Jay Powell and the Fed to reduce interest rates in the greatest economy. Yeah. We, he, according to him, according to Trump, the greatest economy we've ever had. Well, that doesn't make any sense. They're really low anyway in historical terms mm -hmm. because that's, we've got to fuel up the credit markets. We've got to fuel up debt. That's, that's the way he believes an economy runs. It's an empirical question as to whether he's going to be right or not. Uh, but it certainly is a, 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 a profound change in the way Republicans think about the, the, the American economy. Have you ever seen a political figure dominate the news cycle uh, anywhere close to Donald oh, Trump? No, no, and of course the news cycles. Well, you're the newsman in the out of the two of us, Rick. I mean, you've 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 been in the business for for a hundred years. Time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you, for a hundred, you look pretty back well, in the but, printing press. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, and um, there are different ways of doing it now. I mean, it's so much more immediate now with with the social media and and uh, other uh, internet outlets. But tell me uh, about this uh, the um, the impact of social media, particularly Twitter, for Trump or just on politics. On politics in yeah, general. Yeah, no, I, I think it, we, to a certain extent, we overemphasize it. There is a, there are Twitter communities, um, and and they're generally uh, people who have perhaps more time on their hands than they should, or who are perhaps smarter than they think, or less smart than they think they are. Yeah. Who Why are you off. looking at me at that? No, I'm not. I wasn't. I've been looking at you through the entire conversation. That's <laughs> what, um, uh, who, who get on it, um, and they get in these spats. But where Trump's um, influences is not when he tweets. It's when it's disseminated through conventional media. You know, I, I, mm. t Trump has, I think, somewhere in the range of about 45 million Twitter followers. He's by far and away mm -hmm. of any political figure. I mean, there, there might be pop culture figures who have more Twitter followers than he does, but by uh, any political figure. But the vast majority of us um, find out about tweets, uh, Trump's tweets from the news. And that's the, what gives yeah, them, or, or they're amplified. Yeah. That's what gives them the oxygen. Um, and the vast majority of those Twitter followers, by the way, don't live in the United States either. So it's not like he's directly... The only time he, 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 his tweets penetrate our consciousness are when, you know, the, 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 the news editor or the, the, uh, the people at the editorial desk at the New York Times or, uh, or Fox News or CNN decide they want to make it. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, another thing, and, you know, this is a, a personal observation uh, is... Um, I worked for Governor McCrory for three years, and uh, we had a Twitter feed, and I don't think any one of his Twitter uh, the, the social media posts were picked up, and there's a good reason for that. They were never newsworthy right. because, you know, as a staff, you do everything you can to sanitize them to the point that they're not interesting. Right. And then uh, and then President Trump, I mean, nobody is controlling him when it comes to his tweets, and I guess the other thing that has kind of surprised me is that apparently they are now – 
considered, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, now con- considered part of uh, his presidential records. They're going to go in storage somewhere. Yeah, well, anybody can keep them. They're on on Twitter in storage. You yeah. can go back and get all of them, the thousands of them. You know, But they're uh, going to be part of his uh, official uh, presidential uh, documents and such. Oh, okay, okay. So, yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. no, that makes sense. And that's a change, right? Then I'll have to keep that. And, yeah. Um, but, no, it's been in, – in any dimension that you can think of, uh, disruptor is a, is a pretty good adjective to describe the Trump presidency. We are at a um – I guess a stalemate here in North Carolina between Governor Roy Cooper and uh, the uh, the legislative leadership uh, uh, held by Republicans in the General Assembly seems to be the uh, big bugaboo over getting a budget approved is Medicaid expansion. How do you see that playing out? Yeah, it's interesting, Rick. So um, this is the f- the first. Um, sort of go go around here where the Republican majorities haven't been super majorities mm. for the budget That's in, right. in, in in the General Assembly. By super majorities, I mean they're not more than sixty percent under the state constitution. The governor's uh, veto can be overridden with three fifths. It's two thirds uh, at the federal level, but it's three fifths here in North Carolina. Um, and um, the uh, the Republicans in the House and Senate. Uh, it's a the, the 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 distance is greater in the in, in the house, so they have more of a problem in the house. But in neither body have a, a strict supermajority at the moment. So uh, in order to override the governor's veto of the budget, uh, they need to get some democratic votes, um, and this is proving uh, particularly difficult uh, in the house. Um, and so the governor says he's vetoed the budget. Really, he hasn't talked too much about other things. He's talked a little bit about, you know, he always talks about teachers and, and we yeah. got to improve. But the real issue, as you mentioned, is Medicaid expansion. And there are uh, an increasingly large number of states, um, uh, not mainly outside of the South, uh, that have, uh, using the sort of uh, apparatus of Obamacare, have uh, expanded Medicaid to catch. Um, people who uh, wouldn't otherwise qualify for regular Medicaid mm-hmm. but are uninsured. And so it just sort of expands the... The, the, requ- the, yeah, the, the expansion. Yeah, now, now, it doesn't seem as though, um, uh, particularly in the, um, uh, in the House, as I said, that the, the Republicans are going to be override, override. So they've sort of begun to think a little bit about uh, Medicaid expansion by offering a bill that would have some work requirements. Mm-hmm. Um, and polling suggests that uh, quite a large number of Republicans are supportive of that in, in the state, mm-hmm. that they would support Medicaid expansion, but there will be these strings attached in this sort of work requirement. Um, Governor Cooper says he wants a, what he calls, a, I think he calls it a pure Medicaid bill that is just a Medicaid expansion bill that is without that that expansion um, and it looks like increasingly looks like um, and there are people out there listening who might be a little bit more closer to the, this than me but it looks like that at least in the house there, there's some crumbling going on uh, Speaker Moore who's the uh, leader of the house um, is have because he needs more Democrats uh, than um, uh, uh, leader uh, present pro tem um, Berger needs in the Senate, there might be some crumbling going on. But certainly in the Senate, um, Phil Berger, Senator Berger has said, you know, uh, we're not going to we're not going to cave here. We're not we don't we're not going for a pure Medicaid expansion. And so there continues to be this standoff where it goes. I don't know. 
we don't actually need a budget. Um, Explain we, that. Yeah, we have a biennial budget in North Carolina, um, and so that means that the the government is funded for two years. When mm-hmm. the the budget in the um, uh, is is passed, um, and um, the uh, well, actually, we're in 2019 now, so we do we will need a budget. But there is a a a a, a, a um, uh, proviso in place that means that we're not shut down, right? That that, that we're you just um, keep operating on the previous year's budget. Keep operating on the previous year's budget. Budget. So we could go on for a, a while uh, without the, the shutting down of the government or the suspension of, of state government operations. So there isn't this kind of time, this deadline uh, uh, bearing down on everybody. But both sides clearly want a budget because they wrote their own budget. Um, uh, but the question is, when are we going to get it? Who's going to blink first? Whether they, whether people feel a need to blink or not, it's a, it's a good question. Professor Andy Taylor, I want to thank you for taking time out of your uh, summer and you know, coming off the beach and coming in here. And I, was, us I was in the office. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have been on the beach, but. and uh, and uh, spending this time with. I, I, I guess we got a pretty exciting uh, political year ahead of us. We do. Thanks, Rick. All right, thank you. All right, uh, uh, next week Don Curtis will be, be back with another newsmaker here on Carolina Newsmakers. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.